sustainable self-development <laughs> was that for an intro okay I'm, I'm still experimenting with this but hey guys and welcome to the sustainable self-development podcast and i'm really excited to bring on mr steve hall from the awesome website and resource revivestronger.com he is a bodybuilder and a coach who typically helps intermediate trainees to attain their best physiques and really take things to the next level and he also, like myself, has a podcast and interviews people primarily from the fitness industry. So coaches, bodybuilders, powerlifters, about nutrition, training, and all things that can help guys to become better athletes, more muscular and leaner. Steve came on to tell his story and what he does. And oh boy, does he have a really special story. He went through some real crisis in his life before he actually discovered bodybuilding. He was at a point where it would have been very easy for him to give up and become a depressed person after having a serious accident and getting injured and bedridden for a long time. But instead, he chose to come back and return to life stronger than ever. Hence the name Revive Stronger for his website. So instead of becoming a grieving, hurt person who blames bad fortune for his lack of success, he took action and turned his life around completely. And I think it can be really inspirational and encouraging for a lot of people who might be going through some hardship in their lives and don't really know how to come out of it stronger. So in this interview, Steve and I talked about how he recovered from his accident and injury, how he transformed his physique, and how he educated himself and gained sound nutritional and training knowledge. We also addressed his so-called mini-cut movement service, where he helps people in a group setting to go through a successful mini-cut, which is essentially an aggressive calorie deficit that helps guys to cut a lot of fat really quickly without losing muscle and becoming miserable. So... That could be interesting for a lot of you as we are slowly approaching the spring season. Just two quick warnings, the sound cuts out a little here and there, and also I was battling with a cold at this point, so my voice is a little raspy here and there, but at least I try to clear my throat consistently. I hate it when people intentionally don't clear their throats, and then, you know, as I listen to them, I constantly try to do it for myself and hope that somehow my throat clearing were cleared theirs as well. You know what I mean? Oh man, life. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed this interview. And as always, use the timestamps to navigate between the topics we discussed and let me know what you thought of this. So let's bring on Mr. Steve Hall. So um, hey, Steve, thanks for going on. And how's it going? Yeah, really good. Um, so it's just Christmas here. So it's been a bit it's been really quiet, actually, a few days, but recently, because uh, my niece has just got here, so it's been pretty manic, and yeah, it's Christmas time is always, you try and relax, but when you're uh, kind of, your job is online and your social media presence is there, you're getting messages all the time, so it's kind of like a battle to relax and a battle to keep. Uh, are, the, are there gyms at least open uh, around where you are at this time of the year? Uh, at, so it opened, reopened yesterday. Um, so yeah, I've been able to actually be able to train pretty well. Um, only kind of social commitments or being away and no gyms available. Other than that, I've been pretty lucky to get into get some training sessions in, which is nice because it's going really well at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always it's it should be relaxing, but at the same time, it's it tends to be kind of frustrating when you can't do what you love, which is training and being on point with your fitness lifestyle. So, uh, so first of all, um, if you were to meet some ex classmate of yours from like primary school or something and he, he or she was to ask you what you do 
these days? What would you say in like one sentence? So I tend to, this is funny because uh, people ask my girlfriend all the time. She's like, I try and explain what you do to people. They just don't understand. And oh. um, I, I, I say I'm an online personal trainer. Some people automatically are like, oh yeah, I know what that is. Other people are like, how do you like tell people what to do over the internet? Do you like Skype them while they're in the gym? Um, so I try and explain it that it's, it's for the advanced trainer, online personal training, where I give them programming in terms of they know exactly what they're going to do in the gym this week, next week, weeks to come, and then nutritional programming as well. So it's kind of for someone who's really looking for that step above and they don't need that person in the gym there and then and kind of giving them encouragement. So, yeah, online personal trainer. And if they don't get it, then I try and explain it and hopefully they get it after that. <laughs> Right, right. So, um, so now you're a personal trainer, and um, I, let, let's go into your story a little bit because it's really, it's actually quite remarkable, and it can be read on your side. But I think it would be interesting for people to hear this. So, as far as I know, um, you got into this uh, just like many guys actually, with a lot of frustration in your life, and kind of it was a convenient thing to cover all that stuff up. But what makes your story even more special? is that at one pivotal moment in your life, you had a serious accident, if I'm correct, that pretty much had you fight for your life. Is that correct? Yeah, it's, I mean, I look at it now and it's so long ago that I kind of about it and I'm not one of those people that kind of used it as a, I, I, maybe I should use it as a marketing angle in these things, although that is where Revive Stronger came from. Um, but yeah, like you said, I did all of the, everyone knows the old school kind of people who don't really know what they're doing in the gym, they get too fat, they don't really see the progress they want. And I had all of that happen. Um, but I was also kind of quite a serious runner. And I used to take fitness very seriously in all aspects. And so like you said, I was, I was on one of my uh, 10k runs that I traditionally do. And I was on time for an all time personal best while at university in my second year, doing this traditional run and uh, got to some lights and rather than kind of checking before I looked and unfortunately <laughs> that led to me getting hit by a van and had a pretty serious head injury um, in, for which I was in hospital for around a month, lost a lot of weight. Um, the head injury led to kind of hormonal disruptions that were initially low sodium levels, then later testosterone was low um, the short-term injuries were a fractured skull and some scarring on my back and arms, but nothing. the short-term stuff means nothing. The long-term term stuff, the head injury, was really difficult to get through. Um, and I, like you said, I think what helped me to get through it and kept me going was finding the gym, finding bodybuilding, building myself up, um, taking control of something very much out of control of my body and its health because your head, the head just mucked up everything. The hypothalamus was damaged, which um, just really messed with me. So yeah, finding the gym, finding some isolation almost in which I felt in control and uh, then just delving deeper and deeper into the science. How can I effectively do this? Because obviously then I was looking at how I'd done it in the past and obviously nothing had really worked particularly well. So I wanted to find the kind of what actually leads to good results and that's what led me to find people like alan aragon lara mcdonald these were the first people i found and initially it was kind of like I, I don't like these guys i don't like what they're saying they're saying everything i did in the past wasn't the best thing like it was a, maybe even counterproductive and that made me feel a bit kind of 
it's like someone testing you. Um, but then I started applying some of the things they, they were saying. I read more and more of their stuff. It all made sense and I got great results. And then it all kind of went from there. Uh, that's how I really found my passion initially for bodybuilding. Yeah. And, and I guess it's, um, it's always kind of redundant to think about this in retrospect, but do, does it ever cross your mind what your journey would look like had you not have this accident? Like, does it ever, is this something you ever think about at this point? I don't tend to think about it. And I, I almost, I'm really not sure. I've always been really passionate about health and fitness and like sports. I always loved it, but I was one of those people who I was good at these things, but I never like, I didn't do PE, GCSE, which in the UK is kind of like, you can choose subjects to specialize in. And I never, I didn't choose PE, I chose art, which is kind of strange to look back now and think that. Um, but I've always, it's always been a big part of my life. So I think if I didn't, maybe if I didn't have the accident, I didn't find what it could be for me, I'd have not been as passionate for it. And it would have just taken a backseat as how it did in the past. Right. So, and, and how come that after your accident, you didn't go back to running, but you chose bodybuilding instead? So basically I was so skinny. Uh, I lost so much weight in hospital. I basically, if you want to know how to like best lose muscle mass, don't train, don't move, don't eat much and just lie in a hospital bed. Um, no, noted. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was running, wasn't going to be productive towards that. And I'd also lost a lot of confidence. Um, I didn't feel confident to go out on roads. Um, I still did a little bit of running, just not to the same extent. And, um, I lost a lot of confidence in my physical appearance as well. And I felt like getting strong was a way to build confidence mentally and physically. Right. So, um, so let's talk about some of the mistakes you made. Uh, cause this is, this is, I mean, everybody makes silly mistakes as they start. I mean, it's, there are, there might be a few lucky ones who are able to avoid it, but I think for the most part, it is just part of the journey. So, one thing that you made, which I think a lot of us did in the beginning, is you went on a falk, as you described it, so a fed bulk. Uh, so so how, how was that going? So when I initially actually kind of looked to get into things and after my accident, I joined a fit forum. It was called at the time, just like probably like bodybuilding.com, but much, much smaller. And I was seeking advice in there. And at the time, it was the old school mentality of hard and I was viewed as someone who was a hard gainer, very, very skinny, all of these terms that we know aren't necessarily true. And I was just told to basically go into a massive surplus. Um, and I was gaining lots of weight, but it was the caveat that everything I was eating was clean. So it was meant to be a clean bulk, uh, which we know that's not necessarily true. It's calories that dictate whether you put on a load of fat or not, not the fat you're eating clean or dirty or particular food. So yeah, I, advice it wasn't the best advice and um but i stuck to it because that's what i'm like and i ended up putting on a lot of weight very quickly and i think i was lucky because i was rebounding in terms of kind of old muscle memory from having trained beforehand so i probably gained a lot more lean mass than what a normal person would have done in that situation of just being very skinny and going into a ridiculous surplus it must have been at least a thousand calorie surplus probably no more than a thousand calories yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's funny. I mean, I'm not sure if you experienced this, but I, I know that when I folked in the past, 
then at some point, it's not even so much that you think that you need to eat that much to gain weight or that you need to gain weight in the first place, or at least not that much, but it's almost like a, a sunk cost fallacy of some sort. You know, when you invested a lot of energy into something uh, already, then you feel compelled to, to do it because if you didn't, then it would kind of signal yourself that you did something stupid. And, and then you just feel compelled to keep pounding down food. Is, is that kind of what you experienced in that moment? Yeah, I mean, I remember um, inviting some friends over in the evening and I had my like meal plan. I had some almonds and casein. And um, one of them, I think one person wanted to eat an almond and someone else um, like took one and dropped it. And I remember like almost losing my shit being like, I have to eat this almonds. Like these almonds are going to make me big and like... Uh, it, it, to think back, it's incredibly cringeworthy and it really distorted my view of food as well because I did view things in like black and white, clean, dirty. I kind of like white rice. I have to have brown rice. Um, and I didn't think about the fact I was just eating a cr crazy amount of calories. Yeah, yeah. So um, so you mentioned uh, already that you had kind of an orthorexic behavior at that point. And, and it's interesting, by the way, because... I mean, I would just kind of intuitively think that people have a tendency more so to develop an orthorexic behavior when they're cutting because there is that restriction element, but you developed it during this uh, gain or mass gaining phase. So what do you think it was fueled by? Because um, you know, many times they, people talk about having a sense of control in your life that people need at certain points in their, their lives. And I think I can attest to this to some degree. Would you say was that in your case or was it something else? So I'm definitely, I've always been, I, I like control. That's definitely mm -hmm. an element there. And, um, and I was definitely under the impression that if I was to eat these foods I viewed as dirty, that I would gain body fat and that clean foods couldn't actually lead to body fat gain. I, I don't know where exactly I got that viewpoint from, but that's what I had in my head. And yeah, like you said, I think everyone who has this tendency, I mean, you innately, I am just a bit of an obsessive kind of very controlling person. And so having those elements like allowed it and it kind of fed into the probably the kind of disordered type of eating. I wouldn't say I was never kind of diagnosed with orthorexia, but it was definitely things looked that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I remember one time in my life when I was really hooked on the Bulletproof diet. I don't know if you've heard of it, but yeah, so it's, uh, for those who don't know, it's basically a dieting template that has you avoid every single food that you can possibly avoid just for the sake of avoiding it pretty much. So, so yeah, I mean, this even includes things like tomatoes and mushrooms because it might have some tiny amounts of anti-nutrients. And, and yeah, I, I definitely remember that I just felt like at least I can control this thing in my life. And that meant a lot to me at the time. But so um, you then embarked on or you, you got to this point in your life, which you describe as education, education, education. So you found the right people, came across some good resources. So who were these people and what kind of mindset shift did this invoke in you? So, yeah, like I said before, it was... Initially, it was Alan Aragon and Lar McDonald. They were the big ones I found. And I can't exactly remember where I found, like, how I got to their stuff. But I know Alan Aragon, I found him on the bodybuilding.com forum. So I was probably searching something on the internet, found that forum, and then found Alan Aragon talking on there. And obviously, like I said, I was very obsessed about eating clean and eating certain foods. 
And this was when I probably got introduced to the idea of kind of if it fits your macros, it's not going to lead to like fat gain, those sort of ideas. And that really challenged that old mindset. And if you're that sort of obsessive controlling sort of person, when you hear those things, it's kind of really difficult to kind of move back. And so it took me a while and I slowly introduced kind of things I regarded as dirty, like post-workout, I'd have like some rice cakes or snacker jacks. And slowly but surely, I really realized how much kind of the principles of science dictate things and my kind of mind mindset shifted towards the fact that these things can happen. And in Alan, I found Lark McDonald's website, bodyrecomposition.com. And I was watching, I mean, reading every single article during kind of commutes to work, learning so much over time. And it was just that website is incredible. And there's so much free knowledge on there. Um, and then yeah, it just became a per, uh, putting it into practice. And then once I saw the results come through, and how much more I was enjoying it, it kind of made complete sense that I wanted to follow. And then shortly after that, I think the first person I found on kind of YouTube was Matt Ogus. And he was then getting coached by Eric Helms. And I then found 3D Muscle Journey. So that developed that foundation. And I also found uh, Ian McCarthy. I don't know if you've heard of him. Mm-hmm. And he was doing a lot of videos as well, kind of all these kind of very much scientific evidence-based stuff, um, fighting a lot against the things that I believed in the past. And it really opened my eyes to this other way of doing things that was just having experience in myself and much more enjoyable as well. So yeah, that's where it all kind of started. Yeah, so so you found flexible dieting. And so was this a template that allowed, that got you in the right frame of mind right away? Or did you go through that initial spark of, wow, so I can eat anything. So let's see how much junk I can fit in kind of mindset or, or was it right away the, the good frame of mind? So yeah, I never actually, I've never even had a binge, um, which I, I think some people find surprising. I've never binged. I've never had that kind of, oh, if it fits your macros, I can just eat anything. I just, I never had that. Uh, it's not the type of person I am, I guess. Um, I, yeah, I initially went into kind of using meal plans and had like one meal plan and then my flexibility was switching to another meal plan initially i just kind of rotate those and then eventually i moved into balling it day to day like i do now like using my fitness pal and just eating things and then eventually they hit the goals that i wanted by the end of the day but it took a, a long time to get there and i think meal plans in that form can act as kind of i think eric helms calls them training wheels I think that's a great term for them. And it kind of allows you to trust the process a bit more, allows you to realize how different foods can be exchanged and it it, it doesn't matter so much. Um, but yeah, I never got away from the whole, I still ate my vegetables, I still ate my fruits. They were always there. I don't think I ever fell into the trap of, oh, if it fits your macros, just eat whatever the hell you want, which I think a lot of people fall into and then they end up disliking the concept when it isn't the concept's fault it's their kind of misunderstanding of it or misinterpretation yeah yeah i mean it's it's interesting flexible dieting for me in in the sense that actually fitting in some junk every day is kind of an, an emergency option for me not because i think that having some like a small serving of processed foods even daily would be detrimental to my health it's more more of a psychological thing to me because it's easier for me to just cut it out altogether than having it in small amounts 
but but I do remember back in the day that it was a it was a big game changer to realize that okay deviating from my normal kind of bodybuilding foods doesn't have to result in a binge which was a problem for me I, I tip my hats that it wasn't for you but yeah so now we discuss your initial struggles and failures so um, now you found the right resources and you did embark on a bodybuilding journey so how did that go so yeah I um I eventually was just like okay so this flexible dieting thing's pretty fun I can actually it doesn't have to suck so and then I was like well I actually have built a fairly decent physique I'm fairly happy with it and I've been following these guys 3d muscle journey Matt August these people who I look up to and what they do and they do bodybuilding and that's basically what I've been doing for years but I haven't competed and that's kind of the next step so I kind of thought well this is going to be really challenging for me because I know testosterone levels plummet down when you die it down everything just gets really sucks basically and your body does not like it it's not a healthy place for the body to be when you get down to those really really low body fat levels i was kind of thinking right do this it's maybe bad for my health but if i can do it and survive it i know that i'm kind of completely recovered from my accident and so it was kind of a way to prove to myself that i was was recovered and i could kind of feel confident and happy that everything was fine and I think it was also in a, a way for me to show to others what I'd been kind of doing with my time um, and so yeah I embarked upon the journey I found uh, a coach at the time who was also on YouTube who was doing similar things to myself and I trusted and embarked upon kind of contest prep and yeah it was it was an interesting journey to say the least. Um, it was very long. I started in January, competed in September, was my last show, the end of September. Um, and I still, from now, I've learned so much since then that I actually change and adapt um, because there's some things that were very difficult that could be made easier with nutritional periodization, like diet breaks, weren't they weren't included during my prep. Uh, I think that was really kind of challenging for myself, but having gone through what I had gone through with the accident and everything, it led to a, someone who was, in, who was already determined, who then was even more determined and stubborn. And I'd, I, I'd stick to anything um, that my coach would give me cardio-wise, nutritional-wise. And at the end, it did get very, very tough. And I remember thinking, the only thing I can relate this, kind of the brain fog it almost was, the low energy levels, was to being in hospital, and, mm. and which is a horrible thought. But at the end of the day, when you are in that condition as a natural bodybuilder, you're in an unhealthy state. You could be kind of put in hospital for being like anorexic or something. Yeah, it's actually, <clears throat> yeah, it was really funny. I just watched a video of uh, Jeff Alberts's um, contest prep diet from 2011 or something. And it was incredible that I, I watched a video where he was speaking to the camera and I saw this guy with the normally with the, the happy, you know, cheerful face and it was just completely emaciated. And I was just thinking like if some UFO or extraterrestrial was looking at this video and they would speak about like, look, these guys starve themselves to this point because they think it looks good. Like it's really interesting. So, so yeah, it's, it's sometimes it's funny to think about the things that we do out of competitive nature. But so how did you uh, place or how did you perform in that bodybuilding contest? So I placed in both my shows. I did um, novice shows for the uh, MPA 
and the UK DFBA in the UK. And I think I placed the first show was an eye opener as a first time competitor. I didn't shave my armpits and I was told I was, <laughs> I was down. I was, my judge, they judged me down for that because you have to have all hair removed apart from on your face. Wow. And also um, my tan wasn't dark enough, um, which my girlfriend gets a bit upset to this day because she did my tan and we thought it looked dark. But <laughs> so those little things come into play like weird aspects of the sport that you don't think about when you're in a gym lifting weights and eating food um so i think i placed fifth in that show um i still got a trophy for it um and then in my second show where i knew all these things i was much better prepared i placed i'm gonna say joint third but i actually came fourth um the head judge placed me fourth i was joint third with i think three of us were joint th uh, third so um yeah i was happy with fourth place i wouldn't say I really hope that I can improve upon that. Um, I don't know if I've necessarily got the genetics for natural bodybuilding in terms of I have like big hips, I have big wrists and big ankles and I hate to make excuses, um, but I definitely give it my all. And I definitely kind of look to improve my body with every ounce of effort and scientific kind of practice that I can. Um, yeah, it was a journey. It was definitely a journey. I definitely want to do it again. And do that journey better and place better as well. Bodybuilding is, is like, obviously genetics are a huge component when it comes to like body ratios and all that kind of stuff. But I think I, I recall seeing a video that you posted and um, I, I, just just for people, cause you know, fitness guys love these numbers. You, you pretty, you, cause you still arrived at a pretty nice stage weight, right? Um, so my stage weight was 165 pounds <clears throat> at five mm -hmm. foot 10. So. I'd say, well, the judges' feedback from both shows was that I was a bit too tall for that weight category, which tells me I just needed more muscle mass to be in a, mm. a, a, he a heavier weight category. Um, at 5'10", to be in kind of that sort of weight that is quite light, but not kind of scary light because you think Alberto Nunez, I think, is a similar stage weight um, mm -hmm. and he's like a, an inch shorter than me or something. So that just goes to show kind of his proportion and things are fantastic and he is an incredible bodybuilder. Yeah, yeah. So um so was it around this point that you decided to actually turn this into a potential career and started coaching people? So yeah, I actually at, at that for that job it was a bit of a crazy time. I was <clears throat> working for doing an office job in London um at the start of prep and then within probably a month of my contest prep that year I was given an opportunity to do in-person personal training um, and I'd been doing while I was working the office job because I knew my passion laid in health and fitness I, w I kind of educated myself and did a part-time course to become a personal trainer as kind of a backup if I ever wanted to go into personal training I wasn't ever really sure um, but this opportunity sprung up um, and actually fell flat on its face uh, which is really unfortunate but maybe not unfortunate because I actually landed a job at my local uh, gym. And so I PT'd out of there, lived at home. And that was actually really quite comfortable and easy for contest prep, whereas doing the office job probably would have drived me a bit nuts. I probably <laughs> wouldn't have been much good to them. Not that I was much good on like the floor and stuff, but as a new personal trainer, I didn't have that many clients. And it was mainly just kind of cleaning and odd jobs. If anyone's been a personal trainer, they're just starting out. They know what I mean. Um, yeah. So it, at that time, job I had I think one client online because he watched my YouTube videos 
and he'd asked if I could at all help him. It's been <laughs> very cheap coaching for him. And then at this gym, that I, my local gym, there's a lot of kind of younger guys who train in there from the local schools. And they looked up to me because they'd seen me lifting heavy in there. They saw I was doing a contest prep. But they don't want the kind of one-on-one -on -one PT. They just wanted online. They wanted programming. They wanted how to do their nutrition. And so it really kick-started with that local kind of network. Um, and I started helping loads of young guys in there with their online stuff. And so that built me kind of a platform. And from there, I ended up going part-time as a one-on-one -on -one PT online and transitioned into moved out of home and went into London um, it was all kind of it sounds very perfect and like well planned but it wasn't in the slightest it was all kind of just how things happened um, and I ended up really enjoying working with people online getting them great results and I kind of found my target audience was guys who were kind of intermediate years but didn't really know how to get past this stage and because I've done it I found I was getting great results with people pushing them through that plateau and really enjoying it as well. But definitely doing the show, the contest prep, having the photos looking amazing, um, if I don't say myself. And um, that definitely helped kind of act as its own marketing and led, led to the way to building a brand and then building a blog and things like that. Okay, so so your prototypical client is the the intermediate guy who wants to take things to the more advanced level? Yeah, 100%. Still to this day, that's who the majority of my clients are. They're intermediates who really love the gym, are really invested, but they haven't got the time to find the best way to do things and keep on top of maybe tracking and planning their training nutrition. Um, and part of it is maybe a push in the right direction in terms of if they're like me, they like being lean and they struggle with the idea of gaining weight because they've done that whole folky in the past. Mm -hmm. They need to push. They need that accountability. Those sort of people. Yeah. So, so let's talk about your service a little bit because when I go to your site, I can see that it's a very well put together site and it has a very cool kind of natural tone. So, there are some surveys that people can take. For example, should I cut or should I bulk? And when I read the emails that you send to your mailing list, <clears throat> I often has this feeling of like, you know, wow, this guy's talking to me. So. Is this something you developed intuitively or maybe you studied even some business or persuasion, something like this? So I'm really glad that you said that. That's a massive compliment because I often feel a bit lost with it. Like if I'm honest, I feel a bit like, does this look good? I want to change this. I want to tweak this. Am I sounding sincere? It just comes down to time um, and experience and the fact that my first blog posts, I look back at them and I'm like, they sound like textbooks. It sounds like I'm copying and pasting from a textbook. I'm not, but I, I'm kind of reading it and then typing it, reading it, typing it. Whereas as you gain experience, you kind of know what's in the textbook and then you can put it into your own words. And I think finding your voice is really important in the fitness industry. If you're a personal trainer, or online coach or someone like that, and you want to improve, you've got to talk as if you're talking to someone and really try and relate to that person. And it actually becomes easier as well, rather than trying to put it all formal, um, which gets a bit kind of difficult. Learn, if I can attribute it to anywhere, would be the personal trainer uh, development center, sorry, uh, with John Goodman. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know, you probably heard of that website, yeah. and his stuff. He's just, he's a really good guy, kind of, he knows his business stuff. He's got loads of resources and packages you can kind of purchase and play with. Um, and then, 
to interact with Mike Samuels when he was first developing his brand and then talked to him a little bit, did some blogs for him and he critiqued them. He told me I need to make more stories, make them more in my voice. And so that helped me develop as a writer as well. Um, apart from that, it's the, the main thing was just doing it more and more and more, see how what people respond to. And they tend to respond to as if they're being spoken to. That seems to be the best way, unless you're kind of, you're not doing a Lyle McDonald's type of website. You're not trying to maybe promote to people like ourselves, like top kind of fitness professionals who already know a lot. You're trying to talk to kind of people, more lay public um, who are interested, but don't necessarily know all the jargon and they want to be talked to as a person. Yeah, yeah. And um, <clears throat> so at, at this point in time, it's no question that what you're doing is, is pretty successful. So um, what what would you say your biggest strength is as a fitness professional or as a coach? Or if you're not comfortable answering that, uh, what, what would you attribute the, the success of your blog to mainly? So I think my biggest strength is um, being really grounded and relatable. Uh, I find that that really helps me talk to virtually anyone. I never feel like I'm arrogant. I don't try and be arrogant. I don't think I'm anything special. And I think I just find that people relate to that and they like being talked to on the same level. I'm never kind of, I see people sometimes on Facebook and in other platforms and they just talk with a bit of a superior approach, which I, I just, I don't get on with. And you find your audience. Some people might like that, but the people I tend to work with, they like being talked to as if they're kind of on the same page, on the same level. And so, yeah, just being kind of down to earth, personable, probably some of the experiences I've gone through in my past. I was bullied at school. And so that was kind of rough. So that wasn't very fun. And so I very much am, and I have three sisters. So I'm a bit of a soft touch just in general. Um, I, I also have to be hard at times or like a bit pushy. But all my clients will tell you, I most of the time I'm like kind of their friend almost. And I find that's what's helped me in the with that's how I am as a fitness professional. I just I'm there to help. Um, and I never think or want people to feel like they can't ask me a question. I want everyone to feel like Steve is just nice. If you if I feel like I've got a stupid question, he'll still answer it. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 interesting uh that you say that um, you're, you're, I mean, you already mentioned that you had to find your own voice and, and you're trying to not be arrogant and, and be kind of act in a way as if you were their friend. Because I think when people are trying to get into the space, it's easy to kind of look at other professionals and what they're doing. We mentioned or we talked about this before the call, how, for example, Mike Isratel has these rants and they're super hilarious. And then some guy who is just fresh into this whole space is trying to emulate that and it will come off not that great. Like it's, it's not be so funny when a whole brand new guy is just ranting about stuff and swearing and all that kind of stuff. So, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I guess it just takes some repetition and, and, and kind of trying different things out until you find your actual authentic voice, which can be different. I mean, it's your own voice, but it's your own online or own public voice which won't necessarily be the exact same as it is in real life but you still have to be genuine i guess mm -hmm. uh, i think yeah. i definitely think having a bit of uh you do need to be a bit edgy um because i can find myself being a bit too soft a bit too friendly and sometimes that just doesn't get you very far because you want almost you want to be a bit like marmite people you almost want people to hate you and love you a little bit because if you don't have that at all you don't stand out 
uh, and you don't attract anyone because you almost want to attract some people, push some people away. So I definitely have some views about things that I think are quite polarized. Um, and then I hope that attracts the right person. Um, but I never am out. I never go out of my way to be rude to someone or mean or kind of completely bash something that is unless it's actually ridiculous. <laughs> Let's, uh, I, I want to ask you about your, um, I've been seeing it in the, the emails you sent to your list and, and also in your site that you have a so-called mini cut movement. And, and this is something that I've only seen on your site. And I'm really impressed by it because this is kind of like um, a topic that many coaches almost try to avoid. It's, um, so, so would you tell us about that? What's, what's that all about? Cool. Yeah. So the, the mini cut movement kind of came from the, the first place I found about mini cuts was probably 3DMJ YouTube videos. And I found them really interesting because once you've got a good amount of muscle mass and you want to develop more, you kind of want to stay in a range of body fat percentage to be best potentiating that. So we generally know that between like eight to 16% for most males will get you in a good range because effectively the, the logic is that's the most insulin sensitive range for the kind of muscle and uh, from the data we've got and kind of experience as well kind of you're primed and then after kind of doing that and having experience with that with clients and seeing great success that was really cool and then also i know that with a lot of my clients and just people in general when you start a diet you can start pretty aggressive and you can get some really good results initially and a lot of my kind of online people who are doing this found it really kind of it kind of brought them in like they got they bought into the diet they bought into the process they really enjoyed it and then they didn't mind if it slowed down which it inevitably does so i found this mini cut approach where it was just kind of a short aggressive period of time was really effective for these two type of people with people who wanted to start a diet out of the gates really hard and see great results and then go into a kind of a less aggressive approach and then these other guys generally males who are looking to stay within that kind of optimal range for gaining muscle but didn't want to be dieting for a long period of time and didn't need to because they didn't carry a load of fats so they didn't need to do this long progressive approach and then the reason for the group was more because i knew that my resources as a coach were limited and that a mini cut in itself is such a short period of time that you could almost put people who are very similar through the same sort of training, give them customized macros. So they have to be able to do that. And then they can see really good results in six weeks. As long as they've come in with a preface that they shouldn't have been dieting for a long period of time beforehand and give them some guidance of where they need to go afterwards. And that mini cup movement that you or that group, it's just the, actually it's been a year kind of at the end of this year, I'd have done, run about five different, mini cuts and work with must be over a hundred people going through that process and time and time again when people adhere to it the results are really really powerful and i've run many cuts mini cuts to myself and my clients and yeah it's just a i really like them because no one likes dieting for a long period of time so this short in and out aggressive but not like it's not like a lar mcdonald rapid fat loss type of aggressive uh, which is really hard it's kind of just to like as hard as you what you can probably push yeah so yeah so basically for for people who are not familiar with this is basically an approach where you are just going into a much more aggressive deficit than you would normally go into when you were you would go on a contest prep or even just cut down to to a lower body fat percentage right yeah it's pretty much 
gunning for one up to two percent probably of your total body weight loss per week which for some people could be like easily in a thousand calorie deficit or more yeah yeah so and and i guess because a lot of people are kind of um skeptical not less skeptical a lot of people recommend against it because of the whole concerns about muscle loss and all of that but like you said when um, when you're going through something like this in a short period of time and your training is in check and you have a good amount of muscle mass, then any amount of muscle that you would lose normally will be just probably just gained back very, very quickly. So it's not really a concern and then it's worth it because then you can just go back into a, a subtle surplus um, and then you can go from there, right? Yeah, so we there's limited studies on this sort of kind of approach so but from what we do have there isn't any reason to worry muscle loss even through la mcdonald's rapid fat loss like you can maintain muscle um just so long as it's not too prolonged and four to six weeks which is generally what i recommend for a mini cut isn't long enough to really see muscle loss unless you're being silly with your training and nutrition uh which you should hopefully have in line if you get the well in place loss and like you said even if you do lose a little bit because it's shorter you'll get back into a surplus and gain that back very quickly. I'm, I'm imagining that at this point in time, you have a lot of requests for this kind of service as now we had just had the Christmas feasting period. Am I correct about that? Well, yeah, the, the next mini cut is starting first week of January. So got 13 people in that group and everyone's like gunning. They're looking forward to starting. Okay, cool. So this is like a group service that like people can sign up to and then take it together or, or how does it work? Yeah, so I find that by being a group, it allows me to work with more people and they can keep each other accountable. And because it's six weeks, it's really like a short period of time that people can stay on point for that whole six weeks. So yeah, it's group coaching. Uh, yeah, it works really well just on Facebook. Yeah, this is awesome. Actually, I, I would I, so many times I thought about how I would love to have some sort of like almost like a summer camp you know it's like a mini cut summer camp or something like that when i'm going through something like this and you essentially facilitate that online so i think it's really awesome yeah so let's get into some rapid fire questions um to the end uh now speaking of the christmas feasting period uh what was your pers own personal nutritional strategy for this period when you obviously can't really control your diet as you would normally would and what is your general philosophy on this so if I start with my general philosophy, it would be, I see a lot of people telling people what to do. So they're either telling them, oh, it's Christmas, calories don't count, or they're telling people that they need to be on point, they need to kind of um, change their macros lower during the week so they can have more on the weekend and allow for it. And I'm very much in the line of do what causes you least stress and what you enjoy most. Uh, I tell all my clients that as well, and I do that for myself. So I know some of my clients like to have that time off. They like to have the stress-free, no tracking, which is absolutely fine for for a day in the year or a couple of days in the year where you're on point like 80% of the year. I'm not worried about that. That will be absolutely fine. And that's part of flexible dieting. And that's what we both preach. And for myself, I actually, what my calories are, I track my nutrition pretty rigid, religiously day to day. So I just undercut for a few days before and then just over ate on the day and kind of had in my mind, I know what sort of calories I've eaten today because I find it very difficult to switch off. And in fact, I'm less stressed and I enjoy my food more when I have an idea of how much I've eaten. Because of my past, 
I'll restrict myself needlessly and um, I won't enjoy myself. I actually get stressed out if I have no idea what I've counted for. So that's what I did. I just undercut a few days then over eight on Christmas Day, Boxing Day, and then I'll go back to normal kind of these next few weeks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I completely agree that I think during these times, it's probably granted that it's not going to be perfect. So I think the best strategy is what's causing you the less kind of psychological and, and emotional distress and what's allowing you to enjoy it the most. And, and like you said, I mean, for some people like yourself, tracking it is is no problem and even enjoyable. So for another person to tell you that, oh, don't track it because it's obsessive, that's, I mean, that that's his opinion and he's almost guessing what your personality dictates to you. So it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. So um, that said, uh, still remaining or staying on the celebration theme do you have any fitness or bodybuilding or uh, body composition related goals for the new years or do you even have any special plans because it's a new calendar year so not not necessarily because it's a new calendar year but i do plan to compete at the end of next year uh so the same shows as i did two years ago it will have been three years by the time i'm on stage and that's the plan. I've already laid out my kind of uh, basic macro cycle for it. Um, I may get a coach for it. I'm not completely sure on that yet. Um, but yeah, that's the plan. That's my main goal is to compete at the end of the year. And apart from that, it's I've got some other clients who are competing in bodybuilding. No doubt I'll have some of my powerlifters doing some powerlifting meets. Um, they're the main things I deal with, powerlifters and bodybuilders. And then from a business perspective, I actually want to bring on some coaches. So I'm looking to bring on some other coaches to help kind of coach through people through Revive Stronger and kind of broaden my branding and help more people and yeah, just grow as a business as a whole. Nice, nice. So uh, speaking of your business, what was there anything ever since, I mean, I'm not talking or yeah, I mean, ever since you started coaching people and, and got, got into this as a career, was there anything that really surprised you positively or negatively? Hmm um probably initially how many people would want to do it i didn't realize the demand was there for online coaching tons and tons of people want to do it um something that's frustrating is some people don't appreciate costs or might cost in that they don't realize how much time is involved and i think that isn't helped by other people seeing online coaching as like oh, we're doing this interview on a beach and sipping kind of pina coladas because that's what an online coach does. When in reality, it's so much work. I'm working harder than I've ever worked in my life for this. Um, and I'm not sorry for it because I love kind of health and fitness and that's what we do. Um, so that's probably the two surprising things. Anything um, that uh, you tell usually for, I mean, I, I'm not even sure if you do that, but if you have friends that you try to get into lifting and into the fitness lifestyle, what do you normally tell them if you tell them anything uh, to convince them? Um, I'd probably go down the the health benefits in terms of resistance training. And when you're in older years, you're going to have kind of stronger bones. That's going to really help in terms of kind of getting around and doing things when you're older. And then nutritionally, kind of... So many people fight to diet or fight to do certain things and stick to different ideologies, whereas you can just track macros and look at the kind of the bigger picture and get things and actually see success. So I kind of say streamlining things 
by having an understanding of the basic nutritional priorities. Right. So um, anything that you deem to be suboptimal from a bodybuilding or fitness perspective, uh, but you still do it because that's just your personal preference to do this, if this question makes sense? So I'm not sure, you know, um, I try and optimize as much as I can, uh, probably not getting enough sleep, uh, stressing too much in general, just about work probably is suboptimal. I should be more relaxed and maybe, um, I could be a bit more optimal in terms of my nutrition. Um, some of the timings I delay kind of eating because I want to eat bigger meals, whereas maybe I should have more frequent feedings. Um, but I try and optimize as much as possible because I can and I enjoy that um, possibly during kind of I have holidays so I will go on extended holidays like two weeks and that two weeks there's no optimality going on I get into the gym when I can I hit as much protein as I can um, so yeah that's probably the suboptimal element is kind of on holiday um, or visiting kind of family or friends that's the only times when it goes a bit skew with otherwise if I'm in control I try and nail as much as I can because I want the best results possible. And that's what I strive for. Yeah. Um, any, any kind of, I mean, ever since you had your initial struggles uh, around your, your uh, injury and accident and all of that stuff, but ever since you got onto the right path and found the right resources, did you have any kind of major setback that was challenging to overcome? Maybe, maybe an injury, maybe some mental barrier, anything like that? Warning guys, sorry for the interruption, but yeah, sound quality goes a little bad, so listen very closely. So I've had little niggling injuries, um, like hips and knees, which just stopped me squatting now and then. Nothing major injury-wise has happened. Um, but mentally, I think after my show, it took me a while to just accept and push and try and gain weight i've always struggled with the idea of kind of having to gain fat to gain muscle and i've definitely got through that many times but i still think i slow myself down sometimes with it and more from kind of mike israel and renaissance periodization they've helped kind of further that approach as well so um any kind of behavior or habit or morning routine anything like that that you developed over the years that have helped you a lot anything like that that you can think of i think something i developed very early on was eating protein and vegetables with every meal so i can't really eat a meal of like cheesy cheesy chips that wouldn't happen that wouldn't happen uh, and, then, and then something else more recent would be having an idea about how many steps i'm doing in the day so just using my phone looking at how many steps i've done yeah that, that's so funny you mentioned that i literally i i actually started that not that long ago myself so how, how many steps are you shooting for uh, at the moment eight thousand on average yeah yeah nice yeah I'm, I'm actually i'm pretty lucky at the moment because uh, i'm in malta for the most part and there you either go by bus which is the the traffic is horrible or you walk so i regularly have days of like twenty thousand or over so yeah, so it gives me a nice buffer that I can have some lazy days and still have a nice weekly average. So um, lastly, any kind of books or resources that helped you a lot over the years and or you found informative or gave you some pivotal insights to things, anything like that, that you can think of? So I definitely have to say Lama McDonald's website, bodyrecomposition.com. I think that was fantastic. fantastic. I think 3D Muscle Journey's YouTube channel is really, really good. I definitely, I definitely 
tell people to go to that. And then in terms of textbooks that have really helped, probably the scientific principles of strength training by Israel, um, probably the best ebook on strength training that I've ever read. Yeah, yeah, the, these are really golden resources, and I, I would definitely mention them myself. I would probably also recommend Sigma Nutrition, which which is a really good one. Uh, yeah, and and also would I would also recommend your podcast. It's really cool. Like the fact that you have these uh, Q and As with Mike Isratel, and then you know interspersed with other interviews with people like Eric Helms and Brad Schoenfeld. I mean, it's it's pretty freaking awesome. So uh, cool, Steve. I really enjoyed this conversation. I think um, your story is really impressive, and so is how you, your online presence has grown over time. So um, maybe just find, just tell people where they can find you and any kind of uh, resources, services, anything that you would like them to check out. Hey guys, sorry for the quick interruption, but the sound quality just got to such a bad point that I would rather do a voiceover here. So he did mention his resources, which is revivestronger.com. He's also on Facebook with the name Macros Bodybuilding and Powerlifting. And he also has a podcast with the same name. So Macros Bodybuilding and Powerlifting Podcast. You can also find him on Instagram and on Snapchat. So check out Steve's stuff and Revive Stronger. It's a really awesome resource and I definitely recommend it to all of you who are interested in fitness. So guys, thank you and I hope you enjoy this interview with Steve. And a couple of takeaway lessons for me from this interview before you go. So one is, it's incredible how much power physical exercise has and how it can transform moods and physiques and as a result, overall lives. And just like Steve, who turned to resistance training and exercise after a devastating blow, I actually have gone through a similar experience some years ago where I was actually very lost and depressed and starting to exercise was a huge game changer. So if you ever go through some real hard stuff and feel down, no matter what you do, keep exercising. I mean, if you're listening to this, odds are you do exercise regularly, but if you don't, man, just start. The gym is one of the best temples you can have to reignite your soul a little bit. And then another thing, um, Steve said that his biggest strength as a coach or an online personality is being able to connect with people through being compassionate and not trying to put on some kind of weird act. And I can totally see that. It's it's so annoying and so sad to see personalities totally warping into something else as a result of online recognition. But I think that Steve's example shows that this doesn't have to be the case and it can take you very far if you just stay genuine and focus on helping people instead of pumping yourself up. I guess this is more relevant to those of you in the online space, but still, I guess it also applies to life and just general social interactions in many ways. And I guess my final big lesson from this story was that there's always a way to come back and to come back and revive stronger, no matter what happens is always possible. And, and actually this will come handy to me as well, um, because I'm about to go through something challenging in my life. And it's really inspiring to see that he was totally crushed at some point and he came back even stronger than before, which I guess still doesn't mean that at the time it was any good. And obviously he went through a lot of hardship and I'm sure that at the time it was a really confusing experience and it was very devastating, but it still didn't defeat him and he just came back as a stronger and better version of himself. So those were my thoughts to the end. If you enjoy this, please leave a rating on iTunes and subscribe to support this channel on YouTube. There will be lots of cool stuff coming out on this channel and on the podcast as well soon. So stay tuned and have a good one, guys.